0: God and how we relate to him is transformed. Is it justified? Why does Jesus take such a central position in Christianity? We've been hearing in Galatians, and we're going to hear some more about Christ and his grace and how it's central to come into faith in Jesus Christ. And so the question we're left with is, What are we doing with that message? What are we doing with this message of salvation by grace alone in Christ alone? That's that's kind of where we're going. We're going to be heading towards that in these verses. It's the second half of chapter 3. Okay? And let me just divide the passage off for you into two parts. Firstly, the first part. Our heading is Abraham and the promise of God. And our first heading, come on the screen for you, is the promise and its sole heir. The promise and its sole air. Verse 15, brothers, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. First question: Who is this promise made to? Could be Jesus. Yes, so Abraham and. Yes, we're gonna get we're gonna get to there in a minute. So that's the end product, but. Jesus, yeah, what do you reckon that, Stephanie? Because he's always the answer. That's why. <laughs> he's always the answer. And it is that. We're going to get to where Carol says in a minute. But initially at least, let me use this screen. Initially at least, the promises were made to Abraham, okay? And to his... And what you notice about that, is it plural or singular? Singular, which means it's not been made to many peoples. The promise to Abraham, beyond Abraham, is to one person, who would that person be? Jesus. Yes, I'm going to show you that, okay? Okay, it's in, it's in the verse. Of the, in fact, it's, it's up there, isn't it? Is it on the verse? There's, yes, the next verse I think it is, thank you. One back, please, for me, Ricky. Um, so the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. And verse 16, the scripture does not say to seeds, plural, meaning many people. So this isn't. A promise to the people of Israel. Something we have to understand. This, okay? It's not. It's a promise to a seed of Abraham. To meaning, it's not meaning to many people, but to your seed. Meaning, and Paul tells us who it means, licensed by Jesus to interpret the Old Testament for us. He tells us that the promise is to Jesus. Now, you knew that. No one knew that. It, it, it was so deeply embedded in those truths. But Paul, the great theologian, comes to us and tells us that text was speaking about Jesus. So here's the promises. The promises of Abraham then are the inheritance of a promised land, Genesis 13, 15. All the land you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. This uh, The next one is descendants without number, Genesis 13, 16. I will make you... I'll make your offsprings like the dust of the earth, so no one can number them. And see, all nations of the earth will be blessed through Abraham's seed. Through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. So they're the promises. If the promise is really (coughs) to Jesus, how? That's the question. What's the logic? How do we get from Jesus to the nations? Any thoughts? Yeah, it is through Abraham. The Holy Spirit? Yes, I'm going to come there. That's where this is going. Thanks, Jim. Let me just take you to there. Here's the logic. Okay, this is how it's going to happen. The logic, it operates on two levels. On a, on a peripheral level, edges. Yes, this was and did relate to the Jewish people. They were Abraham's offsprings. They did inherit a land. They were a community. Of people. They did become numerous. Really? They started, who did the people of Israel start with? Abraham. By the time they went into Egypt, how many were there? 70. Okay? By the end of it, how many people leave Egypt 400 years later? Two. Two, two and a half million. It, the, the number's not, uh, no one knows the exact number. <coughs> Approximately two million. <coughs> Excuse me. In one sense, at the peripheral level, yes, the Israelites did fulfil that promise. However, when we look beyond that and look deeper into what's going on here, at at the ultimate level, something much bigger is taking place. The land, the numerous people, the blessings to the nations, all point to one reality. Jesus, watch this, verse 14. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, through faith, that's the vehicle, by faith, that we may receive, and it's what Jim says, that we may receive the promise of the Spirit. Can you see? The promise of all those little bits we looked at is ultimately the promise of the Spirit because it's the Spirit that will bring all of that blessing to the earth. Here's how. This is a commentator. His name is Edgar Andrews. He explains the logic. In making the promise of giving his spirit to Abraham in Genesis 12, in making that promise, God's ultimate purpose was to adopt to himself a people, a family, who would be his true children through the indwelling of his spirit, of the spirit of his son, Jesus Christ. So, look, the the promise to Abraham was that he'll be a blessing to all nations. That wasn't really about a community of people in Palestine living on that turf. It was ultimately about God's spirit coming through his son, Jesus Christ, and that spirit going into all the nations and bringing them to faith, making them into a community, Giving them a land and giving and promising them his presence. So it's all, so this is how we're reading Old Testament now. We, we're saying that the whole of these Old Testament promises were looking beyond themselves to something greater. God's end, and without, look, I'm going to be offending Jewish people left, right, and center today. So if you're akin, adverse to that, just be wary, okay? So, so that means that those promises were never really to ethnic Israel. Those promises were to Abraham's seed, Jesus, and through Jesus to all nations. And we're going to look at that more together, okay, as we continue. Verse 17, what I mean is this, Paul speaking, what I mean is this, okay, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. The simple point is this: After Abraham came, the next great, the next great prophet. After Abraham, the next great prophet begins with a M. Moses. Moses. Okay, the next great prophet. He brought the law, the law covenant, and the point that Paul wants to make is that the promise given to Abraham, the promise of his spirit, which will convert all nations, okay, will bring the blessing of land to God's people, okay? None of that gets set aside Set aside by Moses, okay? When Moses comes on the scene, whatever Moses does, he doesn't interfere with the promise that God's going to convert people from around the world through His Spirit, give them inheritance, okay? None of that is affected by this intermediary period. That's what Paul wants us to know, because the law that came afterwards has nothing to do with the promise, okay, in one sense, and has no bearing on the promise. Verse 18, for if the inheritance, okay, the, the promise, depends on the law, depends on Moses, then it was no longer a promise. But God gave his grace, but, but God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. Can you see the difference between promise and law? Well, Paul is saying if, the, if God promised to give salvation through His Spirit to people all over the world, then that contradicts what Moses is about, because Moses is not about a promise. Moses is about law-keeping. And so his point is, if the law really now somehow brings about the promise, they contradict each other, because one's a promise, one's law. And he wants it to make known, salvation comes through a promise a commitment that God wants to make to our world. So here's what we're saying. Salvation is something that occurs outside of Moses. Okay. Moses and the law were temporary measures. They were stopgaps. Look, look, let me give you a simple illustration. We've been having some painting here, haven't we? Uh, I mean, I'm assuming, well, I would do this uh, on occasions at least. If you were painting um, and you wanted to get a straight line, what might you do? Yeah, get a straight, or even put masking tape. But when you're finished, what do you do with it? Yeah, because that masking tape has no purpose in what you're trying to achieve. Okay? It has no place at the end. You rip it off. Okay, and it's something of that nature that whatever happened from the moment the promise was given and the moment Jesus came and salvation came to the earth, what happened in between is always has always been temporary and doesn't affect the promise or the result. The promise is for salvation; the result is salvation through Jesus, and everything in between has no bearing on that. uh, Perpetually has has some bearing through the process. I'm going to show you what I mean with that. does that make sense so far okay so now in christ through faith alone in christ the true descendants of abraham to the true jews are the people who come under jesus who's that us or the jew it's anybody okay we do not come through to jesus through the law because the law only enslaved the issue with the law when god gave the law he never converted anyone. Jews imagined he converted them. We know he, they imagined he converted them because when Jesus came along, all the Pharisees thought they were wonderful people because they kept the law. But who was Jesus scathing about? Not, not the adulterous woman, not the prostitute, okay, not the rebel as a sinner. He was always gracious towards them. Who was he mad with? The ones who believed that you could get right with God by keeping law. So the law never made people right with God. In fact, what the law did, it made them, if you like, prisoners or slaves, the terminology Paul uses, it had such a negative bearing on them that it kept them from faith. You see, being a Jew, in the eyes of a Jew, had immense value. Of course it did. They're Jews. And what Paul wants to get across to the, to the Galatians, at least, is that being a Jew is of nil value now that Jesus has come. I said to you, I'm going to offend some Jews today. Let me, let me illustrate a bit like this. The Titanic. Um, you're familiar with what happened there uh, in 1912? The Titanic went down at 1140. Hit by an iceberg on the on the 14th of April 1912 by 2:30, it had sunk on the 15th of April. It had 2.2 thousand people on board, and over 1,500 people drowned. The early hours of the 15th of April. 1912, but whilst that was happening, there's a scene in the movie about the Titanic, which, which is based on history some, as the lifeboats were being lowered and it was women and children, and they weren't filling them enough for fear that they may capsize so sadly, half of the lifeboats were only partially filled, but as they were being filled, some people attempted to buy a seat on the lifeboat with cash, sterling you see, there was a time when sterling had great value just before the iceberg. You see, a couple of hours earlier, your sterling could have brought you an upgrade to your room if it was available, could have bought you luxury items in the restaurant, could have bought you a, a waiter or a servant to, 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 to meet your needs. But at that juncture, no matter what, how much sterling you had in your pocket, or even US dollars, he was heading towards the US. He couldn't buy you a single thing. Can you see what happened? At the moment of that tragedy, money, currency, sterling, and dollars were no longer legal tender. The moment Jesus came to the planet, Judaism lost all legal tender value. It went, all, it went bankrupt overnight. And I'm going to show you more of that later. And that's what Paul wants to get across to the Galatians. That the moment he appeared, whatever peripheral purpose Judaism served as a temporary measure ceased the minute Jesus came. The very moment he came. And I'm going to show you that more clearly just so you don't have to take my word from it. For a so the message to the Galatians is... Paul's writing to the Galatians who were trying to copy Jews and become Jews. So what's he saying to them? Are you stupid? That currency is out. Why are you trying to use a currency that is no longer legal tender? The moment Jesus came, Galatians, Judaism ceased to be of legal, profitable value why are you trying to become jews why are you trying to get circumcised what are you doing i wonder if somebody could just help somebody at the door they may be looking to come in thank you Uh, so that's the first point and and so the whole of this hinges on jesus what do we do so why do we make jesus so important to christianity don't worry that god why do we make jesus so important to christianity because he's the center of it. It's him who transforms it. So watch, here's what John 5, 23 says. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Christianity must herald Jesus. In contrast to who? who, who who's Galatians in contrast to? He must herald Jesus in contrast to? N-n- or Lord or? moses you see it's got to be and jesus is speaking in the context of all of judaism when he talks about honoring the son he's comparing all the history of the jewish people because who were the jews we have we have who there are two people i always loved to quote and particularly the m fella we have abraham and we have moses And Jesus wants it to be known, or God wants it to be known, friends, that now that Jesus is here, we have to herald Jesus. It's why we worship him. It's why we sing about him. It's why we celebrate his death. It's why we don't, in this church, talk about Moses. He's gone. He's history. The only time we'll talk about Moses is when I'm looking to understand history. And again, I'm going to deal with this in a minute. We preach and adhere to, and hold on to, and focus on Jesus. So the promise and was of, of a nation coming to faith, and a land, and it was promised to a single person, Jesus Christ. How does it come to us then? If it was promised to Jesus Christ, how do we get it? Someone have a go? Yeah, by faith in Jesus Christ. What happens when we put faith in Jesus Christ? We become one with Christ. And we share in His blessing. So the second point, the law and its purpose. The law and its purv- purpose. So here's what we're going to say. And it's again something that the Jewish race has misunderstood, it seems to me. That salvation has always and only ever been through faith in God. It has never been through Moses or law. Okay, so we're saying. It's never been, even for the Jew. Back then, faith was never, salvation was never through Moses and the law. And so, what was the purpose then of the law? So, if we're saying this was a temporary stopgap, it was wasn't for salvation for the Jew, it certainly isn't salvation for now. Or oh, what on earth did God, between the promise and the fulfillment, what on earth did he set in place for a period of time, a temporary period of time, the law system of Moses? 613 laws beyond the Decalogue. Why? So, guess. Well, why did he do that? I mean, he obviously doesn't make mistakes. This wasn't for salvation in itself, in, in, implicitly. Why, why did he do that is the direction he's going. And by us, who do you mean? By us, who do you mean? All so all humanity the law. Under, the law. under the law. Who was under the law? Jesus. Jews. So, so I just want to get that bit correct, okay? That who did he show that they, they couldn't live up to the standard? The Jew. the Jew. They were the only people under it okay so that's important i'll show you what that's important but pam has got the point there okay verse 19 paul asks the question you see he's doing a dialogue like we're doing and he's saying too. so what was the law for can you see look verse 19 what then was the purpose of the law paul saying it wasn't to save you and it was a temporary measure but what on earth was he for verse 19 and then he answers it look it was added because of transgressions until the seed who's the seed Christ, to whom the promises referred to, not to the Jewish people, to Christ, had come. The law was put into effect through angels. Okay, here's the question Why was the law added when the promise of salvation was already in place? It was added to? Because of, yeah, it was added, and just before that, it was added because of transgressions, sins. The law was added as a temporary measure of. Of curtailing sin, okay, and it's important to understand this temporary nature. It was added as a temporary nature to to deal with sin. Here's the logic: Adam and Eve have brought the world into a sinful state. It's why the world's in a mess right now. All humanity is sinful because we're all related to Adam. Every one of us here is a no, well. Let me we get that right. Every one of us was a son of Adam who's here. Whose sons are we now? Christ, because we died to Adam, we've been born in Jesus Christ. The world is a son of Adam. Okay, so here's Romans 3. Through the law, this is what the law therefore does in a world full of sin, a Jewish world here. Through the law, we become conscious of sin. Okay, that's what the law did in the Jewish system. Moreover, the law preserved and communicated God's character. So one of the functions of the law was that it, it demonstrated what sin was graphically if you like the other thing leviticus 20 26 the law showed the character of god can you see what the this is part of the law can you see what the lord is doing the law is doing there to god what's it doing to us what's it revealing about god He's he's holy so the law makes us conscious of sin the law shows us god's holy they're the two primary purpose of what the law does but there's a key flaw in the law. Uh, I've, looked, I've referred to it in brief earlier. What was the flaw of the law? Yeah, you couldn't keep it. And therefore, it did something to you. This is in Romans 5. The law was added so that the trespass, okay, or the sin might increase. I to explain that. The law was added so that sin might increase. That's the flaw of the law. What does that mean? <coughs> what was the Lord doing? And this is what the Jews didn't get. The Lord didn't make you better. He made you worse. Why? He showed it. Not only did he show it, it provoked transgression. Have you ever seen The Young Ones? It's a British comedy back in the 80s. You've seen The Young Ones? You've got a guy, you Robert, no. You've got a guy called Viv. There he okay? Viv's on a train once. Okay, right, and then he comes up to the window on the train, his train's hurtling along at whatever speed it's going, and there's a sign you can't quite see on the top, and he says, Do not lean out the window. <laughs> what did Vip do? Lean out the window. Exactly, and was decapitated. Okay, and that was meant to be a comedy. <laughs> okay, <laughs> seriously, yeah, the, the British humor it can be a b- bit bizarre. But let me ask you a question. Would he have leaned out the window before he saw that sign? No. He would have had no interest or thoughts, perhaps even the, the 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 restriction provoked a response. The law not only highlights sin, it's almost as though it provoked sin. Okay, one of the things you know you do not do with children, you do not put ideas into their head by saying don't do that unless you really have to do. Because by the very fact when you say don't do that, what are they thinking? Yeah, precisely. And the law does that to some effect. Those 10 laws, the 613 prohibitions, in some form increased sin. And so verse 22 but the scriptures declare that the whole world is a prisoner of sin okay so that the promise being given through faith in jesus christ might be given to those who believe i think the point is simply there that we were hopeless in our sin and thereby he showed the glory of grace we were hopeless that god came to us freely through grace It's meant to be a wonderful thing, that though we were terrible, we were freely given righteousness. Verse 23, before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith came. Can you see the effect that the law was was having? It was keeping people. I think prisoners can be understood positively in the sense that it was holding back people. The law was holding back people. It was restraining sin to some effect at the same time was provoking sin and revealing sin. So the law temporarily was performing a function until faith was revealed. It's why Jesus said to the Jews, if you said, oh, we've got Moses, and he turns on and says this to them, uh, we'll go backwards, please. We, we should be on uh, slide 26. Thank you. There. Forward two, I think. Was it, is it slide 26? Sorry, slide 27, please, Ricky. There we go. This is why Jesus uh, says, when, when, the, when the Jews say, We've got Moses, you know, we don't need you. He goes, If you believed Moses, what would happen? You believed me, for he wrote about me. And so, verse 23 talks about they were locked up until faith comes. He's suggesting, friends, that within the law system is another function of the law, was embedded within the law in code. What? Jesus. They never saw him because he was in code. But but who was he speaking to? These were the the elite members of the Jewish society? The Pharisees? Okay, so look, you could be excused if you don't know certain things of the Bible, but if I didn't know those same things, you'd be concerned about the the eligibility of me in that role? Okay? Now, not every lay person in Israel would have discerned that truth, but these are the Pharisees. Okay, men who were given over to the Lord, and Jesus says to them quite clearly, you should have seen within the law, hidden within it, it spoke about me. I'm going to show you how that is. Verse 24. So the law was put into charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. So until Christ came, the way of salvation was always through faith in God, but our faith in God wasn't expressed as, it, as clearly as it is now in Jesus. It was rather, what was it doing? How was it expressed? So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ. How was faith in God expressed when the law system was in place? How did the law lead people to Jesus? You know, it says it does. Have a look, have a look. I know it's a difficult one. So the law was put in place put in charge to lead us to Christ. It wasn't going to save you. The Lord didn't save anybody. Instead, it led you to Jesus until fi- Until they were justified by faith. Um, how, have a guess. How do you think the law led people to Jesus? Perfect. Yes, Alan. Thank you. Yeah, that captures some of that truth. Yes, that's probably the, the clear one. So both of those are, are, are good answers. I think that's the clearer one. It is that because let me show you when Jesus Jesus came and was walking the planet, Judaism was still in force. Something we have to understand: when Jesus was walking the earth, the Judaism and the old covenant was still in effect. When did the New Covenant come into effect? Yeah. This is the blood of the New Covenant. So you have to remember, when Jesus is walking the planet, he's under the, Jew, uh, the Mosaic Covenant, okay? He comes walking under the Mosaic Covenant, and he gives an example of two people in the Mosaic Covenant. And he's going to show you now how someone was led to faith in the Mosaic Covenant. Is so the next verse, please. Here it is. But the tax collector and the sinner... Two people under the Mosaic covenant, they come before God. How does the tax collector come? I don't think I got it there, did I? Uh, I haven't got it there. Okay, but the tax collector came, somebody tell me, what was he doing? You know the story. What did the tax collector do? Uh, sorry, what did the, uh, the Pharisee do? He's proud, He's proud of himself. Lord, I keep the commandments, I tithe, okay? Then comes the tax collector, he is there, sorry, what approach does he have under the mosaic law when it comes to god have a read of those words god have mercy on me a sinner what is what's the law doing to him and what was the law doing to the pharisee what was the law doing to the pharisee making him proud feeling he was keeping what was he doing to the sinner yeah showing what a terrible guy he was and then what does jesus say under the mosaic covenant how did someone get saved how was someone justified how was someone made right with god how did the law function what does he say him. yeah verse 14 what happens to that man who came to god under moses's law in that manner what happened to him just justified, justified. What is, what's justification because the man justified. yeah justification again right with god without justification there's no righteousness for anybody so can you see Jesus' point he's showing us under the mosaic covenant how someone came to faith came to a right relationship with god it wasn't by keeping law that's not how he pointed to jesus he pointed to jesus by making the man feel utterly miserable so that he had to do what call on mercy and unbeknown to him when he was calling on mercy what was he doing he he got justified but yeah, that was going on. Yes, it did. Faith was in action. Something else was going on. Unbeknown to him, that action of calling on God for mercy, because you're an ultimate failure under the old covenant was effectively doing what? And they weren't fully aware of it, but he was doing this. And the sacrificial system revealed it. They were confessing it a bit more. The clue is the sacrificial system pointed to it. When they prayed a prayer like that, Jews were effectively calling on. Jesus. That's the point. That is, and I'll show you how, okay? So he says, God be merciful to me, sinner. He's pleading on God to provide a remedy for his sin that he doesn't possess. Does he possess a righteousness to, to trade with God? He doesn't. He's seeking God to provide a remedy. He himself knows through the sacrificial system, okay, that that there has to be a remedy for sin and so can you see what that prayer is doing that prayer is calling on god god i'm a terrible sinner i can't save myself provide me a remedy for my sin who is that Jesus. can you see he's calling for the fulfillment of God's means. And so Paul's point is in verse 24. The law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified. The same word here. So that's the function of the law. Does that make sense? Does that sound gibberish? The function of the law was to make someone feel absolutely terrible about themselves. So terrible that when they came to prayer, they threw themselves on God's mercy and pleaded for mercy and forgiveness... But knowing that God couldn't arbitrarily just hand out mercy and forgiveness, there had to be a, a payment for it. And so, in as they un- insofar as they understood what the sacrificial system was about, they were calling on God to provide a remedy. And what Paul says, what Jesus says, that remedy was Jesus. And God was, as he were, given to their account in advance of the event, that event. The blessings of that event, every Jew who was broken, humbled, who was contrite before God, cashed in on Jesus' cross before he died, in exactly the same way that you cash in on Jesus' death after he died. Do you see the point? In whether before Jesus died or after Jesus died, we all had, we had access to it, the Jews had access to it through seeking mercy we have access to it through calling on jesus john 5 39 that's why he says these are the scriptures that testify about me so all this truth that the jews should realize what we're saying that they were looking to jesus although they didn't know who jesus was it was all embedded within the law system he was there it's one of the functions he performed so verse 25 so here's the question okay so that's what he performed what does he do now Verse twenty-five. Now that faith has come, you answer the question. Now that faith has come, what does the door do? What does the law do now? Yeah, read. Yeah, what does he say? What are the words? What is he no longer doing now that he previously did? He's not doing. He's not doing anything for you. That's the point it's what we're trying to get across in galatians whatever function he previously performed now that jesus has come what has it done to judaism it's bankrupted it it's taken away that privilege it no longer that is not now how someone comes to faith by throwing themselves on god's mercy exclusively it now has to be directly throwing themselves on god's mercy because of Jesus Christ, because he's been revealed to us. And so now that faith has come, the law no longer performs its function. Here's what we're saying. When we're doing evangelism out there, and I see Christians do it all the time, they take out the Decalogue, say, This is what God wants you to do. You can't do it, can you? That's not evangelism. It's not biblical evangelism. Because what's that verse saying? So don't do it. Don't do it. Okay, it's false to think I need the law to know what's wrong. No, because that function is finished. Do we we get that? The the function of the law that highlights what right and wrong is, is finished. It's no longer relevant. How do we now know what God desires of us? It's not the law. Don't read people the law when you're trying to show them how bad they are. They are. When you no, there's 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 a there's a, there's a there's the superior alternative. We don't give them law. We don't read to them where they're failing in the law. What is the measure by which we know what the standard of God is? Now Hebrews one, I'll give you a clue. Hebrews one. In the past, God spoke to us through the prophets. In these last days, He's spoken to us through His Son. What's the answer? Jesus. 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 In the past, God spoke through prophets. He told you what was right and wrong through prophets. But in the last days, he has spoken to us through Jesus. Jesus. We don't take people to law to know where they stand. You take them to Jesus. Next time someone is thinking of committing adultery in your workplace, you don't read the commandments to them because that's no longer in force. What do you do? You take them to Jesus. You say, This is this is Jesus. Here's his word. What does he say in Matthew five, six, and seven about adultery? Yeah, he goes, Look, fella, even if you look at that person. And think something unwholesome about you committed adultery. Don't do it. See, what we're doing, we're transferring from one system to another. We're turning away from law, and my time has ended, and we're coming to faith in Jesus. So we do not use the Old Testament to beat people up, ever. The only purpose it now serves is to tell us about the history of salvation, Tell us about the character of God. It's informative. Tells us about the origins. Tells us about the details of how we got to Jesus. But it doesn't tell you how to live. And we mustn't use it as a law. That's Paul's point to Galatia. He wants them to use, he wants them rather to turn to Jesus. And I want to finish with this. My time is up. I've got to the end of my allocated time before I get stones thrown at me. So let me just give you this, okay? Romans 10 faith comes from hearing the message the message is heard through the word of christ not moses okay to the word of christ so in evangel let's deal with evangelism in evangelism how do we do lead people to christ to faith in jesus how do we do it of jesus that's it Give them the message tell them all about jesus Don't go to Moses. Just tell them about Jesus. So here's the thing, and here's my application. I'm closing with this. And this is where it's going to get tough. When was the last time I did that? When was the last time that I sat with somebody and told them about Jesus? We've got this wonderful message. When was the last time I did it personally? When was the last time that I knocked on somebody's door and spoke to them or gave them an invitation to church so that they can come and hear about Jesus because perhaps I can't articulate it well, but someone at least in church can? When was the last time I stood with a group of people at TTP and gave out some leaflets inviting someone to Christianity Explore? When was the last time I sat down with my work colleague and said to him, could I have 10 minutes of your time at lunch and just study Mark's gospel with you to show you what the Bible's all about? When was the last time we invite, or what effort have we made to invite someone to Christianity Explored on the 5th of June? They won't come by magic. When was the last time I prayed earnestly for the salvation of someone I cared about? When was the last time I was prepared to be sworn at, to be thought ill of, ridiculed, just so that I can tell them something about Jesus? What we're asking, friends, is we have this great message. We can either revel in the wonder of it Isn't it it wonderful? Or we can do something with it and get it to people. Go and make disciples of all nations. It was not a request. Christian, there is nobody here who is above that command. We can't all do it the same way. We, can't all, we, don't, we don't all have the gift of the gap. We don't all have the energies or whatever. But we can do and contribute in some way to the effort. And we can all invite a neighbor along to a service. Christian, we have the most wonderful gospel. We can just revel in it all our life, rejoicing in the wonder of it, keeping it to ourselves. <laughs> or we can share it. And that is painful. That is humiliating, you know, and that is, but look, hey, let me ask you, in all seriousness, who's going to shoot you for doing it? Who's going to shoot you? And yet, I can show you people, hundreds and thousands of people, who take the message from village to village, from person to person, not knowing if in the next village, they're going to be apprehended, tied up, beaten up, and burnt alive. You don't believe me those exist? Look, ask in part. Ask in part. And they still do it. Woe is me if I'm worried about a little bit of humiliation in speaking to somebody about the wonder of this fantastic gospel message of faith in Jesus and the promises of God being ours. May God give us grace. May God give me more grace. Ask yourself, Christian, what can I do in the gospel effort of Living Word Church? Amen. Let's pray. We'll pray and then we'll sing. Father, we want to take a moment and just bow.